the best place for a Guinness, an unlikely museum, and beer in church. This week, it's all about beer, from Pilsner to Porter to Stout and everything in between. Traveling the world to bring you delicious dishes, tasty beverages, and interesting experiences. This is the Destination Eat Drink Podcast on the Radio Misfits Podcast Network. I'm Brent Peterson. This is Destination Eat Drink, the travel podcast for foodies. Thanks for joining me. Each week, we're traveling to find the tastiest and most unique dishes the world has to offer. And this week, we're stocked with red Solo cups, and we're hoping the keg's not too foamy as we talk beer. We'll have some mango beer in India, beer and pizza in Santa Fe, and stumble into a beer museum in Houston after some day drinking. We'll even have a beer on the beach in Rio. But first, if you're new to the podcast, be sure and subscribe. We're on all the podcast platforms, including iHeartRadio, Apple Podcasts, and Amazon at music.amazon.com. And if you're an old hat at the podcast, welcome back. Glad to have you. If you haven't rated and reviewed us yet, please do so. I'd really appreciate it. This week, we'll be all over the world sampling beers from, I think I got six or seven different places uh, lined up. And first up, I spoke to Maria Beisheim from foodtours.eu. She told me about the beers of Copenhagen in Denmark. There you have the good question. So, of course, uh, the big one, the named one, is the Carlsberg. Of course. That's a big one. Um, But... After 2003, especially, we get a lot of microbreweries. And by a lot of microbreweries, I mean, technically in Denmark, you could, I I believe I read a number that said you could have six new beers every day of the year and never actually have to have the same one twice. (laughs) Okay, sounds like a challenge. Let's try it. But if you're coming now, there is but one that matters, and that is the Juleborg, or Christmas beer. Okay, and what makes that special? Well... Apart from everything else, it's only available at this time of year, which means it gets very, very exciting when it comes out in the shops. In fact, it comes out in the shops, this can sound a little bit funny, uh, on J-Day. J-Day stands for Juleborg Day, and that is the first Friday of November at one minute to nine in the evening. Okay. Is there a special significance to one minute to nine? Yes. It used to come out at midday. But I am afraid my uh, schoolmates used to sneak out of class and then uh, get really roaring drunk in high school and then come back uh, to high school drunk. Oh, my goodness. Um, That would be my schoolmates. (laughs) Again, not you. People you might have known. Or or seen in the distance. Yeah. (laughs) Not anybody I associate with. Of course not. So if we're in Copenhagen and we want to enjoy some nice craft beer, um, is there a pub culture in Copenhagen? What kind of bars would we go to? What are some specific places where we might go that we might enjoy a Danish beer? Well, we um, I don't know about pub culture. We do have some pubs. Um, we don't have the British pub culture where everybody goes out immediately after work. We do have a number of lovely bars, um, beer bars, microbreweries, things like that. Um, I would particularly recommend uh, Nørrebro Boykhus. Uh, that's a brew house in the area of town called Nørrebro, which is sort of the north side. They have their own uh, craft brewery uh, inside the bar, so you can actually see it, and they do some amazing stuff. They have their own Christmas beer as well. Um, so that's that's a really nice one. 
but there are many others. Perhaps the one that that might be best known in America is Mikula. Um, Mikula is a chain of bars uh, owned by a, a micro a microbrewer. Okay, he's not really very micro anymore, but a brewer called Mikkel Bobjauser, who makes um, his own beer recipes, and they're actually known as some of the best in the world as well. Or, of course, uh, with this interest in beer, even Carlsberg itself has opened their own microbrewery at their old site called the Jacobson Brewery, and they have a lovely bar as well. Uh, that's on the west side of town. Mikula, by the way, is sort of scattered everywhere. They also have restaurants and things like that. Or uh, a new up-and-comer is Ama Boikos, or the brew pub near the city hall square, where you sit inside a, an 18th century building. It's always really nice as well. For beer lovers, Dublin is famous for one thing, Guinness. And I talk about why Guinness tastes better in Ireland and my favorite places to get a pint of the brown stuff. Is there any product more closely associated with Ireland than Guinness? The famous brewery started in Dublin more than 250 years ago and shows no signs of slowing down. And drinking a pint or several pints of the dark brew is on the must-do list for many Dublin visitors. People will tell you the Guinness in Dublin tastes so much better than the Guinness you can get in the United States. And they'll tell you it's because Guinness doesn't travel well. In other words, you want to have it close to the source and you can't get much closer than being in Dublin. But I have another theory, one of my many crackpot theories about food and drink, and it's this. The reason the Guinness tastes so much better in Dublin is because you're in Dublin. There's nothing like being sidled up to a bar, carrying on a conversation with a stranger about who knows what while enjoying a pint of Guinness. It just isn't the same when you're sitting on your couch watching a football game in your house in the United States. That's what I think makes the Guinness taste so much better. The Guinness Storehouse Tour at St. James Gate Brewery is the busiest tourist attraction in Dublin. People are shuttled through the brewery all day long, every day, to get a look at the process that creates the black gold and to enjoy a little sample of Guinness at the end. If you decide to take the tour, be sure to book online. You'll save yourself 25% compared to the walk-up ticket price. But for my money, the best way to spend your time enjoying a pint is in one of the classic Dublin pubs. Here, you can stand at the bar and will almost immediately get sucked into a conversation with a local. That is, unless you go to Temple Bar, where it's nothing but tourists and stag parties. My absolute favorite pub in Dublin is O'Donoghue's. Just make sure you go to the correct one. Karen's nephew was supposed to meet us at O'Donoghue's and we're texting back and forth. Where are you? We're here. I'm here. I don't see you. We're in the back. Oh, I'm in the back. Why aren't you here? Turns out he was at the copycat O'Donoghue's. The real one is on Marion Row. O'Donoghue's has good Guinness, but the real attraction is the nightly music. Musicians sit in a corner we actually got kicked out of our seats to make room for them and play Irish favorites. We didn't know any of these traditional Irish songs, but it didn't matter because by the time the second verse rolls around, you know all the words and everyone is singing along with the crowd. 
Bands like the Dubliners and several other famous Irish groups got their starts at O'Donohue's. Another of my favorites is Mulligan's. The Guinness tastes incredibly fresh here. I don't know why, except maybe it's because they sell so much of that brown stuff that the kegs are turning over quickly. Mulligan's is a great spot to watch a game. We happened to wander in one afternoon just as the Gaelic football final match was starting. I'd never seen Gaelic football before, but it was the national final, and Dublin was playing rival Kerry, looking for their fifth consecutive title. The locals were kind enough to explain the rules to us, and before long, Karen and I were right in the swing, cheering loudly for the home team, Dublin. When regulation of the match ended, the game was tied, so I naturally asked, how long till overtime? The guy next to me said, two weeks. Turns out, if the championship is tied, they play an entire new match two weeks later. Of course, we weren't in Dublin two weeks later, so I streamed the game at home, and yes, Dublin won. On the other side of the river in a part of town that hasn't seen the same level of development as the rest of Dublin is a tiny bar made famous by Irish rebel Michael Collins. It's called the Confession Box, and it's a true locals hangout. Just beware... With the location's history as a safe haven for Michael Collins and other Irish patriots and nationalists, you would be well advised to keep your political beliefs, whatever they may be, to yourself. Star Galani of Best Bites Houston told me about an oddball museum in H-Town. I also really like going to the Natural Science Museum because there is a butterfly dome there, uh, which pretty much is a space with a lot of butterflies and you feel like you're in a rainforest. Oh, nice. <laughs> yeah, it's it's really great for kids and adults, I would say. Um, uh, those are probably the ones that I visit most often, but I have also been to the Holocaust Museum, the Beer Can Museum, which is really cool <laughs> to check out. <laughs> um, I've kind of gone to all of them, but I would say those are my favorites. All right. Beer Can Museum. We got to talk about this because if, when you say Houston and a beer can museum, the image that pops into my mind is some guy's garage with all the Lone Stars that he's drunk in the past 40 years. I'm sure it's not that. Tell me what the Beer Can Museum is like. It's actually pretty accurate. <laughs> <laughs> That's pretty much it. There's a, a lot of uh, beer can bottle caps and cans like all surrounding it. And it's um, if I'm being honest, I went there pretty intoxicated with my friends after like a day of day drinking. So um, all I remember doing there is taking pictures and laughing. <laughs> my buddy Harsh Tanawar of No Footprints does some of the most interesting food tours in Mumbai, India. And he told me about brewers experimenting with new flavors in India. Yeah, in fact, there are a lot of people. There's a big movement that's happened not only in the beer, but also the gin industry. In fact, uh, also the meads, uh, which is one of the older drinks, ancient drinks is making a comeback. And uh, there are, there's a meadries, which are now also coming out and they're making some great meads. But yeah, there is a place uh, called Woodside Inn that does some amazing uh, beers. They actually uh, uh, curate, uh, actually not, they, they have their, they, they actually bring together a lot of different uh, beers from different breweries. You know, you have uh, people who are trying to experiment with mango beers, uh, you know, you have a place like Thirsty 127 that is doing uh, some great stuff with their beers. Um, you know, you have some places just outside of Bombay, which is in Pune, which is called Dulali, which is now also come down into Bombay that do some wonderful beers uh, there as well. 
so yeah the beer culture is a uh, kind of uh, booming right now uh, there are a lot of small players who have come into the market and uh, really shaken up all the um, all the original uh, big daddies uh, of the beer world Sylvia McCoy is the founder of Berg Bits and Bites, a food tour company in Pittsburgh. And she knows everything about the Steel City and tells me about a brewery in a former church. Iron City, it's, it's been, it, yeah, it's kind of iconic Pittsburgh beer. Uh, they started, I believe, in 1861. It was a German um, brewer who who started it originally um, moved his location at one point it was on uh, Liberty I believe in 17th and now they moved up the street to Liberty um, and 33rd which is the Lawrenceville area as you mentioned and if you go there and drive by and I, I drive by it every week gorgeous absolutely stunning building um, historic kind of looking brewery and it's still closed down. Um, I don't see any work going on around it. I, I also have not heard of anything yet officially that they're going to start brewing it there again. They did uh, move their uh, brewing location to outside of Pittsburgh in 2009, and they're brewing it in a location where formerly uh, Rolling Rock was um, is, is brewed. And uh, so it would be great if they could bring that back and start brewing in that historic brewery. Uh, we do a lot of historic preservation. We tried the historic preservation community here in Pittsburgh is pretty vital um, in terms of taking interesting buildings and reusing them in new ways. Um, just kind of as a sidetrack, uh, right down the street, or you can actually almost see it from uh, the um, icy light or icy brewing uh, building is our church brew works which was a church at one time, is over 100 years old, and is now also a brewery. And In the church? You know, in the church. Oh, that is awesome. Very cool, yeah. So we have the, uh, the brewing uh, components, everything that you need, are what used to be the altar up there. You walk in, you can very clearly get a feel still that this was the cathedral. But um, again, historic preservation we and try in Pittsburgh here to reuse our buildings as much as possible in, in, in interesting and innovative ways. And um, again, to get back to um, Iron City, how great would it be to have that beer kind of come alive again in that in that historic building? What are some of the beers, if we want to come in and try some artisanal beers in Pittsburgh, what are some craft beers that we would try that we could enjoy that are brewed in Pittsburgh or nearby that folks are enjoying these days? Gosh, there's so many. Um, that's one thing that, you know, beer lovers come to Pittsburgh because you're not going to be uh, short of finding a good beer in every one, almost, I can't say in every one of our neighborhoods, because again, we talked about 90 distinct neighborhoods, but inevitably all around Pittsburgh, you're going to find a brewery. Um, Cinderlands is, is one that comes to mind. Cinderlands, uh, we've got 11th Hour Brewing. You've got Brew Gentlemen that are located a little bit outside of Pittsburgh in Braddock, which is a very interesting area, up-and-coming area as well. Um, you know, again, gluten-free beer, you want to go get a nice, truly good gluten-free beer. You've got Aurochs Brewing. It, there's no shortage. Penn Brewery, which was has been around for quite some time. Fatheads 
down in the south side. Angie Johnson of Eat Adventures Food Tours in Portland, Oregon, talks about the beer scene in Portland and her favorite porter. Portland is definitely known for its breweries, and I don't think we have the most per capita, but sheer numbers, I, I believe that we have the most. We've got somewhere around 70 breweries inside the city limits of Portland. And there's a lot of reasons for that. One is the proximity to ingredients. The great water that we have that comes from our, our bull run watershed and also liquor licensing makes it easier. But one of my favorite breweries is Ecliptic Brewing. They're on North Mississippi. John Harris is the brewer there. He's been in the brewing industry in Oregon for decades, like 30 years. And um, he's really well known for his time at other breweries. And when he started Ecliptic about six years ago, Instantly, he had these beers that were winning awards internationally and just doing so well. And so he just, for his commitment to the community, his level of brewing, he makes one of the best porters I've ever had. And also, he hired the chef at the same time that he opened the brewery. So he's also doing this seasonal menu to complement the beers. So I think everything about him just encompasses the Portland spirit. Eat Rio is a food tour company in Brazil run by British expat Tom LeMessurier. Tom talks about how much the beer scene has changed in Rio de Janeiro since he moved there. And if you want to see more of Tom, he's on a recent episode of Somebody Feed Phil on Netflix. Well, the craft beer scene here has exploded over the last five years. And I have to say, as uh, as a happy consumer, I, I've become much happier since I got here, uh, since, since this thing happened. So I arrived here back in 2010. And really, in those days, if you could just find anything which wasn't the really cheap industrial stuff, you'd be delighted. I mean, I remember being delighted when they started selling Heineken's on the beach because <laughs> beer beer drinking on the beach is the thing you do. I mean, it's you, there's no, none of these restrictive laws that you have I know, in the US um, for where you can drink here. You can drink pretty much anywhere. And when it's so hot and humid here and ice cold beer is uh, just the ticket. Um, Generally, the standard beers here are extremely light. And like I say, if it's over 100 degrees and humid, then you're probably not going to be demanding a, a heavy stout or something anyway. But, you know, there comes a time when you actually want something with a bit more personality. And, yeah, when I got here, it was there were a couple of specialist bars, but nothing much. And now it's a very different story. There are a lot of great places. You'll sit down and they'll bring you the beer menu. Uh, the idea of a beer menu when I got here was just madness. So <laughs> it's really, it's such, I'm still like thrilled when I sit down and they bring me the beer menu and I'm leafing through pages and pages of IPAs and, you know, strong Belgian ales and so on. Um, it's, uh, it's a real treat. So it's come along, uh, it's come a long way. Um, and what I really like to see actually is that, um, brewers here there's a lot of local brewers small small scale uh, operations and they're really getting into using local brazilian ingredients fruits and spices which only grow here um so you know it's great that they're of course they are also using european and american styles as their inspiration so you'll see a lot of things like new england ipas and uh and you know sort of uh, belgian style beers but uh, they are also doing their own thing which i think is is really cool I love the creativity there. Where's a place we could go to maybe sample some of these beers, or do breweries themselves have tours in Rio? 
Um, there are, I'm trying to think was a really good one. Uh, there's, there's a really good place, uh, called Hop Lab. Uh, you'll go in there and, uh, you know, it's interesting. There's sort of, you have to find, uh, I guess, look for what you're, what you're really interested in here and sort of target your search. So there are a lot of places serving bottles, bottled beers. Of course, I think that's sort of practically speaking a lot easier for bars to do. Um, but, uh, you know, I think for a lot of us, the, the Holy Grail is getting beers on tap. And I remember talking to a guy once, one of the owners, and saying, "Why don't you do that more?" And he said, "You know, practically speaking, it's it's a lot more expensive for them, and so on." But Hop Lab is amazing. I think they are current record holder with about thirty taps, and they they will be uh, rotating things. So, you know, whenever you go there, you're going to find something uh, something different. Um, oh, a place that I really like actually is Marchezinho. This is in Botafogo, and we actually base our craft beer lab around the neighborhood of Botafogo, which is really up and coming. It's really exciting. There's a lot of young chefs, young bar owners coming in and and really getting experimental and trying new things. Marchesino is a place I've, I've liked for a long time, pretty much since it opened. Uh, it's French owned, hence a sort of it's a sort of uh, this name like Marche, and Zinho is a sort of French Brazilian uh, sort of hybrid word meaning little market. Um, and although it is French owned, there's about uh, three or four uh, partners in the business. They insist on solely uh, Brazilian producers, small producers. So all the cheese is Brazilian, <laughs> all the charcuterie is Brazilian, uh, local producers, uh, really artisanal product, product, uh, products, which I think is uh, really lovely to see. And they will always have a couple of uh, locally brewed beers on tap, which I think is, is really nice to see as well. Wander New Mexico is a food tour company in Santa Fe and Albuquerque. And Joe Griffith of Wander New Mexico tells me about Santa Fe's great craft beer scene. Let's do kind of large, medium, and, and then super small. Okay. Um, so large, you know, no, no kind of visit to Santa Fe is complete without uh, a, you know, our oldest brewery here started in 1988, um, Santa Fe Brewing. Um, they just completely completed uh, an expansion out of their production facility. You will pass right by it if you're driving up from Albuquerque. Uh, it's off of I-25. And they put in a you know really nice kind of, oh, it's really too big to be called a tap room. I don't know what they're calling it. Just a kind of really big bar uh, next to their uh, major production facility out off I-25. And so what I like about them is you can, you know, they do a lot of classic beers that they've been doing really well for a long time. So one of my all-time favorite uh, beers here is the Java Stout uh, that they do. Um, they a couple of years ago introduced a, an, an IPA called a 7K IPA uh, because we're at 7,000 feet. Um, so go there and you know you'll see you'll see time and time again a number of their beers served around town. So it's not like you're going to get anything there that you wouldn't be able to find in town. But I think they're the oldest, they're the biggest. I think they're even the biggest brewer in the in the state. Um, and so kind of you know you can't talk about craft beer in Santa Fe without talking about Santa Fe brewing. Um, then in the medium category. So, uh, really exciting. They just won the best brew pub at the great American beer festival last year. Uh, it's a little place called rally farmhouse sales, uh, located in, uh, just off Cerritos road in Santa Fe, kind of away from the, the tourist, uh, infrastructure, which is nice to go and, and see kind of the, you know, where all the, the regular people live, but it's, uh, you know, Nothing too remarkable about the space, but they just have, you know, very good food uh, and pub fare that's, you know, kind of goes a, a step above what you might experience at most brew pubs. And then um, the brewer, so he's um, 
works at Los Alamos. I want to say he's a chemist. Uh, and he was president of the homebrew club. And so, you know, real beer geek, uh, knows just a ton about brewing and they, they put out just a bunch of, you know, if you really love geeking out on beer, this is the place to go because you're going to find a bunch of stuff that, uh, they're making. That's just really interesting that you're not going to see anywhere else. And then in addition to their own beers, they have a, a great selection of other um, unique beers from both around New Mexico and, and the rest of the country. And then for uh, small breweries, so uh, I know a year ago this is true, and I imagine it still is. The smallest brewery in the state of New Mexico is a little place called Chili Line Brewing, right downtown, pretty close to the plaza. It's a, a young man um, whose father you know, owned an Italian restaurant here in town. His father's Italian-American, I want to say first or second generation. The, the young man wanted to move abroad and I think to Thailand to start a brewery there. But then his father lured him back to Santa Fe by saying, hey, why don't you just open a, your, your brewery attached to uh, our pizza restaurant? So Pizza and beer. Can't go wrong. Yeah. They've got a great, you know, probably the best pizza in Santa Fe uh, called Pizzeria de Lino. And then attached right to that building. And you can, you can either go to the brewery side and have the pizzas or you can go to the pizza side and then have the beers. Is Chili Line Brewery and, uh, you know, tiny, tiny little space. Uh, the owner is a guy and the brewer, a guy named Xander. And so go in there and, uh, you know, they do some really interesting stuff, specializing in, in smoked beers. So uh, Rausch beers, which is a, a German style of brewing um, and just some, you know, really interesting stuff that they are so small. Uh, you're, you know, maybe there's one or two other places in town where you'll find their beers. But uh, other than that, you know, super unique stuff. All right. There you go. Thirsty yet? Now. I know we can't travel to a lot of these places that I talked about in the podcast, and most of the beers that I talked about aren't available at your local bottle shop, but maybe this will inspire you to try out a new local brew or maybe put one of these places on your list when we can start traveling again. I know that during the pandemic, I found a lot of new favorite beers. I've got a new favorite Pilsner that I found out is brewed not too far from my own house. Well, uh, that's it for beer for now. Next week, we're in the land of amazing cheese, surprising wine, and Welsh rarebit. Yep, Wales. Next week on the podcast. While you're waiting for that to drop next Friday, go to DestinationEatDrink.com for all your foodie travel needs. On the blog this week, I've got a new article. It's a recipe for a vegan Spanish dish rich and smoky and super flavorful. So if you're like me and doing a lot more cooking these days, you'll want to get that at DestinationEatDrink.com slash blog. Destination Eat Drink is distributed by the man at the top, Ed Silla, and the Radio Misfits Podcast Network. Thanks, Ed. I'm Brent Peterson. Wear your effing mask, and I'll see you down the road. Join us next week for another culinary adventure on Destination Eat Drink. A presentation of the Radio Misfits Podcast Network. 